0: Good morning. I'm Stephanie Curtis, sitting in for Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Glad you could join us. We have a milestone show, because today we are celebrating Mike Mulcahy. This is Mike's final week with Minnesota Public Radio. It's a big deal. Mike has been reporting the news and hosting shows on NPR since the 1980s. At times, Mike has pushed the boundaries of creativity, which is what you want in a reporter. But when it comes to the news, he always told it like it was. He took his role of delivering the news seriously, telling us what happened and what you, the listener, need to know. Fellow journalists admire his work and have a deep respect for his fairness. Many politicians would say the same, which is high praise indeed. There are a lot of politicians who won't talk to other people, and they'll say, sure, I'll talk to Mike. I'm like, is he he the one that's going to be hosting the debate? I'm in. We've dug through NPR archives and discovered that Mike has done just about everything during his career, except one thing so far, which is to step back and retire. Now that time has come, but before he goes, Mike has agreed reluctantly to spend the hour with us to reflect on his inspiring career, and we're going to have a couple of laughs along the way. Mike, thanks for coming into the show, and congratulations.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Steph. I'm sure most people listening are asking a... Who's Mike Mulcahy? <laughs> B, well, isn't he too young to retire? And uh, C, I don't know what.
0: We also have Brian Baxter here. Uh, Brian is a political reporter at NPR. Brian, welcome.
2: Hey, thanks, thanks for having me.
0: So we want to talk about Mark, Mark, Mike's storied career, but we also want to hear from you. Do you have a Mike Mulcahy memory? Do you remember an interaction, a story, a moment? We would love to hear from you. Join the conversation. Tell us what you appreciate about his reporting and hosting over the years. The phone lines are open. Give us a call, 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Mike, it's time to go back in time. When did you start in radio and how did you get hired here?
1: Well, uh, first, Steph, let me just say, uh, you might want to be a little careful about taking some of these calls, because often (laughs) when I hear from people uh, remarking on my work, they use words that we really shouldn't use on the radio. (laughs) When did I start in radio? Well, it uh, goes way back to the analog days of yore. I actually started in college, and I was a DJ on the college radio station with a good friend of mine, Kevin Galligan. And... um, that's when I sort of got the bug to do radio, and then uh, that time comes as it does for every college student when you're suddenly going to graduate, and it's like, what am I going to do next? And I got a job at KSTP AM radio uh, running the the mixing board, mm-hmm. and uh, I am very privileged to say I actually worked with the great Al Shaver, the North Stars announcer. Wow. Although I never met him because he was always announcing the game at the Met Center and I was back at the station <laughs> uh, twirling the dials. But um, it was good experience. And then I had sent off, before I graduated from college, I'd sent off a resume because MPR was hiring in Rochester. And it was uh, several months later when I finally heard back from the station manager down there, who was uh, Claudia Daly in those mm. days. And she said, well, we have a job. Come on down and talk to us. So I drove down to Rochester, and I talked to them, and they hired me. And then the, the rest is a long career.
0: That's fantastic. Well, we have uh, some, some sound. Let's listen back oh, to Mike be. Mulcahy from the past.
1: The town's success is due mainly to its largest employer, George A. Hormel & Company, whose founder guessed correctly over 100 years ago that a fortune could be made, slaughtering livestock from Minnesota and Iowa farms and selling meat to city dwellers. Since its beginnings in Austin, Hormel has grown into a corporation with assets totaling about $1.4 billion. Now the first strike in more than 50 years is on the horizon at the Austin plant, and the town's business people are worried. I'm Gary Ankton in St. Paul, and we're going to spend the next hour taking a look at the life and times of
3: Rudy Perpich. FM News Station reporter Mike Mulcahy is standing by at the uh, state capitol.
1: Mike, I would imagine quite a shock at the capitol. I think that's the word for it, Gary. Uh, people uh, just did not expect <laughs> this to happen. Uh, very much of a shock. Rudy Perpich uh, was known as a politician who was a good retailer and not such a good wholesaler. In other words, he he wasn't good at sound bites. He, uh, he came off as sort of not uh, not being all together when he was quoted on TV and in the radio. But... Uh, up close with people, he really shone, and uh, he, he always exuded life, I think, and that's why, one of the reasons why it's so shocking that Rudy Perpich is dead.
3: Live coverage of President Gorbachev's historic visit to Minneapolis-St. Paul. Minnesota Public Radio providing that coverage throughout the afternoon and early evening today. We'll stay with it, in fact, until the Gorbachev plane leaves sometime
1: around 8 o'clock tonight. It goes on to San Francisco and from there back to the Soviet Union. It's now about 25 minutes before 2 o'clock. Shall we slip out to the airport for just a second and check in with Mike Mulcahy and see if there's any indication that that plane is any closer to landing? Michael? Well, we don't know yet, Bob. The last word we had was 138. 138, well. So uh, security was very tight. They swept the area with dogs and uh, just about anything you can imagine. We even had a little problem getting in. We can echo what Stephen Smith said a little earlier. We were also informed that if we left the, the pack of reporters... We uh, could end up wounded My goodness. wounded at best, I guess.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Prince's Bat Dance video features 15 dancers dressed alternately as the crime-fighting superhero Batman and his evil nemesis, the Joker. Prince's New York-based publicist, Jill Willis, says it's one of the most theatrical music videos likely to appear on MTV and that it's Prince's tribute to the upcoming Batman film. Willis says the Minneapolis rock star became involved with Batman in January at the request of Jack Nicholson, who plays the Joker in the movie, and the film's director, Tim Burton. Prince's Batman record is set to be released next Tuesday. The movie comes out a week from Friday. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Hey,
4: Jackie. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. So that was Mike Mulcahy's album review for Prince. There was audio from covering when the president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, visited Minnesota, the death of Minnesota Governor Rudy Perpich. And before that, your first big story, which was the Hormel strike in the 1980s. And we're going to go to Claudia in St. Paul, mm-hmm. who wants to talk about that, your coverage of that. Hi, Claudia. Hi. And you remember Mike working on this, don't you?
5: Um, I, I'm sorry? Just you, ask me again.
0: <laughs> I said, you remember Mike working on the Hormel story, don't you?
5: Oh, I absolutely
0: do, <laughs> yes. Tell us more about who you are, Claudia.
5: Um, I am the first female station manager in the MPR system. I, uh, I worked for MPR as a freelancer and as a reporter out of Duluth, and then Bill Kling asked me to go to Rochester in um, 1980, and I, oh no, not 1980, late 1981, I started January 4th, 1982, (laughs) and I worked there till 1989.
1: Okay, and you
0: hired Mike Mulcahy, is this true? And I
5: hired, I found him in a box. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Claudia, you, you've had to live that down your entire life since then.
5: <laughs> but I have loved it, and I have loved being able to hear you and have that connection. It was so powerful.
1: Yeah, it was great and, to work for you too. I'll say that.
5: Well, and and when I when I think about when, when I think about your retiring now, I am kind of stunned. <laughs> you and <laughs> me you're both. Still one of my kids. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you for calling in and, and, uh, and uh, on this day, Claudia, and thank you all those years ago for hiring Mike Mulcahy.
5: Well, I am so proud to have done so, and um, I'd do it again. I mean, this time I would do it, I'd be informed. <laughs>
0: okay, <laughs> thank Mike, you. good luck.
5: Thank bye, you, Claudia. Thank, Claudia. thank, thank you. you. Great
1: right, to hear bye. from you.
0: So what was that first big, when did you start covering the Hormel strike?
1: Uh, I started covering it... Um,
0: and tell tell people what it is.
1: Well, as you heard a little bit from that story, uh, Hormel was the biggest employer in Austin, Minnesota, and one of the biggest employers in southeastern Minnesota. And I got a job as the Rochester NPR reporter in... Uh, it was either 84 or 85. I don't remember, and the records have been thrown away somewhere along the, <laughs> along the way. And that was, uh, you know, I think most people remember that story because uh, Governor Perpich, who was the governor at the time, called in the National Guard to reopen the plant. But that didn't happen until some time into the strike. And so, uh, because we were the closest station to Austin, I was back and forth between Austin almost every day for the for months. And uh, on the phone when I wasn't in the car, talking to people in Austin and you know trying to figure out what's going to happen with the strike and it was a uh, it was during the Reagan years and it was uh sort of on the uh front end of the change in industrial america where um people you could you could in those days have a high school diploma go to work at the town company work there your entire career retire with a good pension, you know, raise a family. And uh, that was changing because uh, the economy was becoming more international. Uh, the The corporate structure was getting more complicated. Uh, there were a lot of what we see today, you know, there, were, there, were, there was Wall Street to answer to more than Main Street. And so it was um, at the time, it, and I didn't realize this because I was just a kid trying to keep up with this story or cover the story, but it was, it was sort of an, uh, uh, canary in the coal mine of what was happening with the economy. And, um, eventually the governor did call in the national guard in a very cold January, um, reopened the plant. The workers were replaced by non-union workers and it was extremely traumatic for the community and for the company and for everybody involved. And, uh, i I just had sort of a front row seat to it, and it was very uh uh formative for me as a journalist. I'll say that
0: that must have been an incredible story to be covering when you first started
1: yeah, and uh of course um it wasn't about me and i I'm totally embarrassed that we're wasting an hour here on the radio talking about me because it was <laughs> there were real people's lives involved, and you know that's what news is mm-hmm. it's not. I've always thought it's not about me. It's not about the person telling you the news. It's about the people involved. And so uh, that was a good a good way for me to learn that. But, but you know, in the bigger picture, it was just a very traumatic experience for that community.
0: Brian Baxt, mm-hmm. uh, did you, when you applied at NPR for the politics reporter job, did you interview with Mike?
2: I did, over at his office, away from the office, Keys Cafe. So oh. over, I think he had a... <laughs> Typical tuna sandwich over there. <laughs>
1: no, no, not the tuna. Okay, Turkey. Turkey. All right. So what have you learned from
0: working with Mike over these years?
2: Well, Mike is, as I've told other people, he's probably the best boss I've had is because he's so supportive of what we do. He knows what we do. He did what we did. And so he allowed us to just – he gave us a lot of room to run. And he helped us uh, make our choices about what we covered Pretty clear. He always wanted to focus on the issues that mattered and less on the distracting shiny objects. And and that was, you know, sometimes you can get pretty insular at the Capitol and and focus on the who's winning, who's losing, and not kind of what why it matters. And he was good about that. He was also good about making sure that we reported with authority that we were the experts in a lot of okay. the stuff we covered. He wanted that to come through in the reporting, and it did. And he was he wasn't uh, one of these guys who micromanaged you. He he, he really. Let you do the stuff. And if he saw something that wasn't getting done, he'd gently suggest, well, what if we looked at this? Or what if we did that? And it was just a great run. And and we were sad to hear when he he decided to hang it up.
0: How do you guys make, there's that line between reporting with authority and reporting that's almost like opinion. Mm -hmm. And how do you make sure that you don't cross- into the opinion, but then you say, this is what's happening.
1: Where's that line? Well, everybody has opinions and Mm -hmm. uh, you have to recognize that and you have to, um, you know, put that on the table, but then you have to, you know, when with Brian and Dana Ferguson, who works with Brian at the Capitol, um, the reason I I don't micromanage them is because they're so good at what they do. And so, um, you know, you have to, you have to set aside opinion and get to the facts. That's the basic job of journalism is to find the truth. And, um, you know, it sounds kind of highfalutin, but that's really what it is. And so, um, I think with experienced people like Brian and Dana, they understand that. I think it's harder for people who don't do it every day to understand how it's done. And it seems like a magic trick, but it's, it's just the job. Um, and uh so i don't know how to how to really explain it but we're trying to find out you, you know the 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 capital and politics what's great about it is everybody's got an opinion and um some people have the votes right and and you need to have the votes doesn't matter what your opinion is if you don't have the votes and so as you're covering politics that's what you're looking for and and at its best politics is people with different opinions coming together and finding a consensus.
2: And I just want to go over his, his lineage here. I mean, you have you mentioned Dana and myself. Uh you, you've got people like Tom Sheck and Laura McCollum, uh, Michael Koo, uh, many others who kind of came through the capital ranks, Mark Sadeklek who has covered politics and another issues under Mike who really, you know, flourished under Mike. I mean, A lot of us came from non-radio backgrounds. He didn't care. He just wanted to know that we knew how to do the job and cover the capital. The radio stuff would come along, and it did.
0: Do you have a Mike Mulcahy memory? We're talking about him as he has his final week here at NPR News. Do you have an interaction, a story, a moment? We'd love to hear. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 1-800-242-2828. And let's go to Cheryl in Eden Prairie. Hi, Cheryl. You have a memory or a, or a comment about Mike Mulcahy?
4: Oh, I sure do. I uh, I spent a lot of effort making sure that I could be available to listen to the uh, political, Friday political reports. Uh, uh, when somebody would be evasive, my ear would kind of pick <laughs> up and think, oh, I can see that this person's dodging, but he never, he never, uh, he always noticed all of those times where he would just zero back in and uh, keep without without uh, um, being invasive or controversial. He would be able to get at the facts, and uh, and I'm so impressed with what I like the reporting and the information from the political aspect, and I see where his his uh handprint is is all over that division in public radio and and there's a lot to do with how I keep supporting public radio and make sure that my funds are going to public radio.
0: Thank you so much, Cheryl.
1: Wow, that that's really nice. Thank you. Um the thing I've learned about uh being on the air and doing a program like this is uh you have to listen. And and that's one thing I really kind of appreciate about it because in the real world, when you're out there, uh, you're being distracted, and it's getting worse and worse, right? Your phone and your t- the TV and the newspaper and somebody knocking at the door, somebody calling. But here in the studio, it's like a quiet place where there's just you and the guest and the microphone. And you know that the people are out there listening, but you can really focus. And if you listen when you're interviewing somebody, that's when you can tell if they're evading or you can tell if they're, you know, using a talking point or not getting back to it. And, and when you have time, like we have on public radio, you can let them uh, give the talking point and, you know, state their, their point of view. And that's good. But then you can also follow up and you can ask them, well, what do you mean by that? And the other thing I, I tell young journalists is don't worry about a dumb question. Because the dumb questions are often the best questions. And the dumb question like, really? Can you really do that? Or what do you mean by that? Or how does that work? I don't understand how that works. Those are all good questions. And um, I think that public radio in part and media in general have been moving to this uh, landscape where the host or the interviewer has to know everything and has to, um, you know, be... Gotcha. Has to ask the gotcha question and be you, you confront the, the person you're interviewing. But I mean, I've never interviewed Donald Trump, and I'm sure it would be very, very difficult. But there are some questions I'd like to ask him. Just some, some, some dumb questions. And see how he answers them But anyway that's, that's what I try to do When I'm interviewing people
0: Alright Mike We have a little surprise For you right now MPR got in touch With some of your Old colleagues Uh oh And they've recorded A little audio postcard For you Okay Let's give it a listen
6: I'm Bill Wareham I had a lot of roles At MPR over the years Many of which involve Covering politics Alongside Mike Mulcahy I'm sure folks In the audience Think they know Mike From his frequent appearances Over the decades But trust me They haven't been fully exposed to his sense of humor, and specifically, his gift for mimicry. Mike's capable of spot-on impersonations. He's largely limited his repertoire to Minnesota political figures, though, so the audience for his talent isn't all that big. But, when we were covering the legislature, he would regularly leave the Capitol Press Corps rolling in laughter. He doesn't take requests, though, so you can ask for a sample, but he'll almost certainly decline. Welcome to Retirement, Mike.
7: I'm Laura McCullum, former longtime reporter and editor at NPR News. I was Capitol Bureau chief with Mike Mulcahy as my editor, and I couldn't have asked for a better boss. He knows everything and everyone in politics, and he brings that expertise to the team. Now, you may know Mike as a pretty cynical journalist who's not afraid to ask tough questions, but I've seen the softer side of Mike. He's an incredibly supportive editor who's got your back. When I came back to the Capitol after maternity leave, I was worried about juggling work and an infant. Mike said, don't worry. He gave me this book titled, You Already Know What to Do. I set it in front of my computer, and whenever I felt overwhelmed, I'd look at that book and realize, I got this. Thanks, Mike. You're the best.
3: NPR News alum Gary Eichen here. Wishing my friend, Mike, all the best as he rides off into the sunset. Mike is a good guy, very talented, with just the right dose of skepticism needed to properly cover politics. Mike would put the pals through their paces, always fair and objective, but always ready to apply a raised eyebrow test to outlandish claims. Mike's the real deal. What a good journalist should be. NPR is going to miss him, and so will I.
0: That was Gary Eichten, and before that, we heard NPR News former editor and reporter Bill Wareham and Laura McCollum, and you didn't seem to remember that book, Mike. You don't seem to remember, remember the influence the you have on people. I
1: don't remember the <laughs> book. I must have seen it somewhere and, and just bought it at the bookstore, and uh, I guess I should have read it first. <laughs> I, don't know. I never got the book. You never got the well, book. Well, yeah, you haven't you haven't gotten the book yet. Um, <laughs> this is like this is your life you You, you remember that show from way back i don't remember i remember hearing about it
0: though Hmm. brian what were some of your favorite moments from mike's career that you remember
2: i just think seeing him up on the debate stage moderating or in the studio when he had candidates by i would often think man that's a tough job and he seemed to do it effortlessly i mean there were times when you know candidates would be going at it pretty hard and mike would just Ask a cool, calm question to get things back on track to know that there were things of substance we needed to talk about. Uh, there were a couple times up, uh, in 2018, in fact, when there was a Republican race for the nomination where candidates were trading arguments over who called the other guy a bad name and Mike used that bad name and said, "Okay guys, I might be the bad name, but I'm going to I'm going to get back to questions that are important."
0: Uh Nathan writes, "Nathan Ferry says, it's hard to imagine MPR without Mulcahy. I have a lot of respect for his work and the perspective he brought to stories. Congratulations on retirement." So Mike, why retirement right now?
1: Uh that's an excellent question. Um when I got into this job uh down in Rochester, I committed to a year, and I thought at that point that I would go to law school if I didn't like it. And uh, the that end of the year came, and I thought, well, I'm going to apply to law school. <laughs> uh, and um, <clears throat> before I had a chance to do that, um, the news director from NPR, Rich Dietman, called me up and said, hey, where, where have you been? And I think I had already quit. Mm. And he said, hey, where have you been? I've been trying to get a hold of you. I want to interview you for a job. And I'm like, okay. So I came in and interviewed with him, and he hired me here in St. Paul, which is my hometown. And uh, then I just went on from there. And uh, uh, so, you know, that one year has turned into almost 40. And, uh, you know, Steph, I don't want to bring down the conversation, but as you get into your 30s, generally, uh, your grandparents pass away. As you get into your 40s and 50s, generally, your parents pass away. As you hit 60, your friends start to die. And uh, I'm not a genius, but it doesn't, doesn't take much to know what the next part of this story is. <laughs> and so uh, I, you used to work on Sound Money with Bob Potter yeah. and uh, Chris Farrell, and I, I used to listen to that program, and they'd always say, sock your money away in your retirement account. Don't buy the expensive coffee. Uh, don't buy the expensive lunches. Bring it in a bag. And, and that's what I did because I, I thought oh, that makes sense. And I'm also kind of cheap. <laughs> and so last year, uh, my financial advisor told me, uh, you've got enough money to retire now. You don't have to work anymore. And I said, well, there must be some mistake. And he said, no, you're going to have money when you die. And uh, and I said, well, when am I going to die? And he couldn't answer. So uh, then Brian knows this. Uh, well, I volunteered to work on the Christmas holiday last year, and uh, I thought I, I do that sometimes just to give other people who don't live in town, you know, the chance to spend their time with their family. But then on New Year's, the New Year's holiday, which I was looking forward to having off, the governor uh, had his inauguration, so we had to work on that day too. And i was sitting there on New Year's thinking, wow, I've worked a lot of holidays. Now, not as many as Phil Picardi, you know. He, yeah. he works all the time. He's newscasters. Um, uh, but once your guy tells you you've got enough money that you don't have to do this anymore, um, and you're sitting there working on a holiday, and uh, you've been through COVID and, you know, a couple elections since then, and you work every Sunday, and you get up you know, at 5.30 so you can write a newsletter and have that out by 7, and uh, then you do the rest of your day till 5.30 or 6. Uh, once that guy tells you, you don't have to do that anymore. It starts to burrow in a little bit. And uh, I thought I would stick through the 24 election, but uh, it just reached the point where I thought, you know what, I'm not going to be on this earth forever. There are other things I want to do. Uh I think it might be a good time, and so that's that's what i'm doing.
0: What else do you want to do? I just think of you as just a working dog you know no, that's because I work yeah. a lot
1: uh, i don't I don't want to work so much <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to have some fun I want to uh, spend some time with my uh grown children and uh, other members of my family who uh to, you know a couple of whom live out of state now and uh yeah, so I don't know. I don't have a great plan other than, uh, as I told somebody, uh, it's either move north and write my manifesto or uh, (laughs) clean my house, which I haven't done for the last 20 years. So I'm probably (laughs) going to start with cleaning the house. Good plan.
0: Uh, Let's listen to another audio postcard. And this is from a couple of reporters that you've worked with over the years. Here is NPR's
6: Tim Nelson and Catherine Richard. I'm NPR news reporter Tim Nelson. You know, I first met Mike Mulcahy about 30 years ago. He was playing bass for the NPR house band, The Ernie's, at a benefit show at the Calhoun Beach Club. You
5: don't know my name, but that's bound to change.
1: Don't know how it'll be, but somehow you'll hear of me.
6: They were the best band of the night, as I recall and you know that was telling mike has been the rock of the rhythm section at NPR news for decades in the background minding the timing and backing the folks at the front of the stage with just enough solos to make you appreciate that there's a true professional keeping an eye on the proceedings and you know he was one of the reasons i came to NPR after 16 years at the pioneer press His coverage and his voice and his reporters have made NPR a must-listen for Minnesota politics for decades. He really helped set the standard for what thorough and persistent and in-depth coverage could be and a perfect companion for Gary Eichten on election nights to boot. I will miss him, and most of all, I know that the folks that listen to NPR News will as well. Thanks, Mike, and happy retirement.
0: I'm Katherine Richard covering Southeast Minnesota for NPR. In a previous life, I wrote about politics, and Mike Mulcahy was my editor. Here's the thing I'll remember about Mike once he's basking in that retirement glow. He can do a dead-on impression of every Minnesota politician, dead or alive. Jesse Ventura, Al Franken, Walter Mondale, no one is safe. But here's what I'll miss the most about Mike Mulcahy. Over the 13 years I've worked with him, he's been an advocate for the journalists in our newsroom time and time again. Hear an astonishing story about Minnesota politics on our air? Mike's fingerprints are all over it. His depth of knowledge about our political history is why NPR is your trusted source for political news. And in addition to being a pretty funny guy, he's also a good friend. Onward and upward, Mike. We will miss you. That's NPR's Catherine Richard. Before that, Tim Nelson, Mike. We heard a little bit of the Ernie's there. I have seen the Ernie's perform, uh, but this is new information for a lot of people. Tell us a little bit about the band.
1: Well, um, and why the Ernie's? This is a bit embarrassing. Uh, this was uh, <laughs> now uh, I'll say Chris Roberts, who used to work here, and mm-hmm. John Bewin, who was singing on that little number we heard. Uh, they were sort of the the motors behind this thing because they were the the creative ones. Um, the, to me, it was uh, like a dad's club in the mid-90s. You know how, <laughs> how men are in Minnesota and they don't talk to each other and they, they don't uh, ever uh, socialize. Well, we would just get together and mostly practice, 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 <laughs> and just have a good time. And uh, so that's how that started, and that's how it kind of ended.
2: Uh, Mike, it's my understanding that you guys had so many guitarists that you decided that you were going to be... You have to take up bass and you taught yourself. You're all self taught.
1: Well uh again, taught is uh, generous. Um uh it was uh, yeah, we were we were amateurs, at best. <laughs> And uh I'll say uh, my middle daughter is uh getting her master's degree in uh viola performance and uh played in an orchestra and she's a musician. I'm like a, a ham handed hack, right? I, I so, anyway, uh, that was a long time ago. And uh, I've actually, since most of those folks have retired, I've been trying to get them together to play again, and, and it never seems to happen. So. That'd be amazing. Well, not I, really. <laughs> one of
0: the songs that I loved uh, was I Can't Remember How I Got to Work Today. All Which that. I think that was Chris, a good, that was Chris's a good, song, too. Yeah. That was good, too. That was a good, too. I think about that all the time when you drive in <laughs> and you parked, and then a couple hours later, you don't remember. Like, I don't remember getting here. How did I arrive at work? Um, Brian, can you tell uh, tell us a little bit more about Mike's leadership in the newsroom?
2: Yeah, Mike is just widely respected. When Mike chimes in a, in editorial meetings, people take his opinion seriously, And and as a line reporter, you know. We would often say, God, I can't believe they're making us go down this path or whatever and we'd complain to Mike and Mike would Mike would be a great uh protector of his team and, and well tell me something else you got better and we'd tell him and he's like, Okay, you do that and I'll take care of the rest. He was great about that. He knew how to manage the flow of stories both on his team and on other teams. And uh, you know, there was a time that he was the, the big boss in the you know, on an interim basis, and I think it gave a lot of people comfort. This was I believe, during the COVID, yeah. the early in the COVID times, and we were all trying to feel our way around remote work and, you know, reporting is a lot of in-person stuff and you're suddenly thrust into a remote environment. Having Mike just be there to, to direct us was great.
0: We have a call right now from Brendan in Shakopee who wants uh, your perspective on how things have changed during your career. Brendan, what's your question?
1: Uh, good morning. Um, I'm just trying over 40 years It seems like the horse race aspect of of politics has really become predominant. And I'm curious, uh, do you think that policy will ever become predominant in political discussions? Thank you. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, that's a great question. And and things have changed a lot. And Brian can weigh in on this, too. Um, I think we have some basic problems in our institutions right now, uh, in politics, in journalism, in education, Um, things have changed. Uh, You know, the horse race has always been part of politics because, as I say, if you don't have the votes, you don't get to pass your policies. But uh, what what I have seen is it's become nastier, and I think that's because of social media. People will uh, put stuff on Twitter or X or whatever you call it and Facebook that they would never say to you, to your face. Um, I think that the algorithm in those, uh, in those outlets, uh, promotes being outrageous, promotes being obnoxious. So those things come to the fore and, uh, the media wanting to, uh, get, go viral, get a lot of clicks. Then, then they play into it. Um, the, the audience I think has to take a little bit of blame because, uh, you know, we can we can have a policy debate, and they might not listen to it. So, it's complicated. I what I have seen in my time is that things have become more national. Uh, it used to be when you talk to uh, voters and you know candidates and legislators, they would be focused on. You know the local things, the the their concerns, what's happening with their family, what's happening in their community, their district. Uh, Now it's like the talking points seem to come down from D.C. or somewhere, and they kind of just travel across the whole spectrum, including the voters, who talk more and more like uh, the political pundits, and and so. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating. or Maybe that's not quite right. But uh, I think that's kind of disturbing. And that's what people don't like about politics. As I say that what's great about politics is when you see people and what's great about working at the state capitol is you see people from all over the state come in with all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of uh, ways they think the best way to solve a problem is. And uh, then they meet somebody else from another part of the state with different concerns, who have a different point of view. And then, in a sort of compressed time period that's forced by the calendar, they have to come together, talk, debate, work it out. You know, go some often behind closed doors, and come out with something that can get broad agreement. And um, it's not perfect. Nobody ever used to think it would be perfect. And nobody would, well, I wouldn't say that, but most people wouldn't complain about it as much as they do now when they were done. And uh, so anyway, it's uh, that's the good part of politics. That's the part I think we have to stress and we have to uh, tell people, educate people as to what it really is. And the food fights and the, the insults and the dirt and the rest of it is sort of, it used to be, you know during the campaign, you'd get that, and somebody would throw something slip something under your door or over the transom, and the reporters would have time to check it out and see if it was true or not. Now it's out there, boom, 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 all the time, and it's really corrosive, so I, that's what I've seen, Brian,
2: yeah, I mean, this is a constant tongue and pull we have, and we talk about a lot about what what we're covering because it's so easy just to go to the most outrageous thing or the outrageous speaker, but the other stuff is what's gonna matter more. And and to Mike's point, I think the campaigns have become perpetual campaigns. There's not there's not the legislative session now and the campaign later. It's all blended, so people are constantly thinking about how is this going to affect my my prospects in the next election, and so it causes this tension that 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 they feel and they're exuding and comes through in some of the coverage that we do.
0: Mike, when did you move from being feel like you move from being a reporter, to being a a leader in the newsroom. Did you do that consciously, or is something that you just realized after a couple of years, like, oh, hey, I guess my voice is more important
1: than I realized? Well, I'm just hearing today for the first time that I'm a leader in the newsroom, to be honest with you. (laughs) But uh, when I moved from being a reporter, it was was a great, uh, one of the few times really where my uh, news radar has failed me because really the, about the last uh, thing I covered as a reporter was Jesse Ventura's press conference where he announced he was running for governor. <laughs> and then uh, I was working for uh, uh, TPT at the time, and um, for a, I worked there very briefly. And then uh, I came back to NPR after that, and I was actually the newscast editor uh, when I came back. And then that swiftly turned into politics editor. But... Um, so that's when I became an editor. That's when I uh, stopped spending every day at the Capitol. Um, and uh, that was in like 1998, right? Uh, so that was a while ago. Um, and I've been through a. I, I didn't think I would be back at the Capitol. I didn't think I would be as involved as I am. I didn't think I'd be hosting a radio program, you know, about it, uh, even if it's sort of occasional. Uh, or 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 moderating debates, you know, because uh Gary Aikton used to do so much of that and uh, and I worked with Gary as as the editor and and with his producer Sarah Meyer, but um I thought when Gary left uh, other hosts would take over that duty. And for one reason or another, it didn't work out <laughs> that way and the, and I had to do it. And so uh that was sort of a bonus for me. Um to be able to do that and and you know ever since college when I was a DJ I've loved being on the radio love talking on the radio it's just so much fun and so I was grateful that that was still part of my career so late into it um, but it really was not something I had planned
0: um let's go to the tape again we have you've had a great influence on reporters and editors but also the uh the hosts here tom cran has made a postcard for you mike
3: if anyone knows more about politics than mike i haven't met them yet mike always knows what questions to ask i've heard candidates and politicians come up short on our air not because of posturing gotcha questions but with simple obvious ones from mike he always sharpens any questions i have for a political interview and he makes them better cleaner more revealing He's a Minnesota Native who respects what government does. He takes it seriously, knows his stuff, and he and his team always do their best on your behalf because they believe you deserve it
6: and thirty five w was undergoing repair undergoing from repair yeah for Minnesota Department of I'll never
3: forget the night the thirty five w bridge collapsed back in two thousand and seven. I was on the air, breaking in with not much information. And Mike appeared in the studio. He came in when he heard what was going on. And when all seemed chaotic, he said, let's just go on, tell people what we know and what we don't know. Uh,
1: but we do know that this happened about 6 o'clock tonight. The entire span of the bridge, Interstate 35W, over the Mississippi River, uh, collapsed. Uh, we know he got me through the first big crisis I had to anchor
3: that night calmly by demonstrating how to do it and what questions to ask. Same on those long election nights. Stick to the facts and don't get ahead of yourself. So if I'm doing anything right at all, chances are I learned it from Mike. Mike, you represent the best of us here at NPR and the highest standards. You've earned that retirement. Enjoy it. Keep in touch. And thanks from all of us here in the newsroom, certainly, but from our audience around Minnesota.
0: That was All Things Considered host, Tom Cran. And let's go to the phone lines here. Uh, Let's go to Kathleen. Well, I don't know if Kathleen is ready. Is Kathleen ready? They're making faces. Yes, Kathleen is ready in Minneapolis. Let's go to her on line one. Hi. Hi, Kathleen.
4: Just calling in for Mike here. This is Kathleen Blatz. And many years ago, I served in the legislature, and that's where I met Mike. And I just thought... He was a fantastic reporter very early on, and he did nothing to disabuse me of that idea. I'm a faithful listener to him, always have been over the years. And thank you, Mike, for just really an incredible career. It's not always easy to follow the legislature and to communicate in such a understandable way as you have, so we can take complex ideas and, in a very short time on the radio, uh, communicate them to to the broader base here listening. So thank you for just an incredible career, and I'm very happy for you and wish you well in your retirement.
1: Well, thank you so much. I mean, that's really quite an honor to hear that from you. Thank you. Um,
0: We are talking to Mike Mulcahy, our senior editor here. He's been covering politics for us for for decades now, I guess, as editor and the host of Politics Friday. Brian Baxter is with us also. Mike, what do you hope that how do you hope that NPR News's, uh politics coverage will evolve without you here? Um, well. Not I, that I, it's going to be better. That's not I what I'm to, asking. I was just hoping that. Oh, what changes do you want to hear?
1: I don't want to hear a whole lot of changes. I think we do a good job. I want to hear uh, more of Brian Baxt and Dana Ferguson and uh, Mark Zadeklic and uh, our reporters around the state. Uh, talking about serious issues that affect real people's lives. I think that's our job. I think uh, you know to to find out what the debate is, to hold our politicians accountable when it's necessary. Um, that's that's what we want to do, and and we've done it well. And I I hope it continues when I'm gone. You know, I'm I'm going to be uh, in the great position of not having to worry about it not having to make those decisions and i'm fully expecting my posture to improve because i won't have <laughs> that burden i'm expecting my hair to grow back uh i'm expecting it to turn brown again um so uh yeah i don't know if those things will happen but that's what i'm expecting
0: are you going to still are you going to still follow politics i was i mean i'm wondering from a selfish point of view because i was thinking about election night and whether you could be on as a political analyst for us, or whether you're going to be say, you know, like, I feel like I won't be that engaged with it.
1: Well, I'll, I will say uh, Jane Helmke, who's our boss now in the, yeah. in the newsroom, uh, has been very generous to say that uh, the door is always open and the door isn't closing. I, I think it'll be hard for me to not... Uh, pay attention to politics because I, I'm an old dog and I don't know that I can learn a lot of new tricks. I threatened Brian this morning that I would try to learn how to golf, uh, he did. but uh, he, he won't want to be there for that because he <laughs> he knows how to do it. So um, yeah, I, I, I will still pay attention. Whether I ever come back on, on these airwaves, I don't know. We'll see.
0: I want to play one more audio postcard, and I'm saying this very slowly so they know which one I'm talking about. NPR's senior political reporter, Dana Ferguson. She is not here today, but she wanted to share her thoughts about you and the impact that you've had on her.
7: Hi, I'm Dana Ferguson, and I'm a senior political reporter with NPR News. Growing up in Minnesota, and then later covering Minnesota politics, Um, I heard Mike on the radio, especially on Politics Friday, long before I got to meet him. And I built up this sort of idea of what he would be like. And in my mind, he was just this big shot NPR politics editor, probably wouldn't be that interested in talking to any kind of newbie reporter like I was at the time. Um, So I was surprised when I first got to know him working at the Capitol And he burst that bubble of the preconception of him that I had. Um, He was just a hardworking journalist. And when he wasn't hard at work editing a story or taping a show, he was always joking. He did some truly impressive impressions. And he always made me feel welcome in the press hall. Here we go.
1: Three, two, one. You guys watch Succession? Too bad I got a good Succession impersonation do it uh Uh, yeah matthew i'm gonna need you to reverse viking that okay no yeah
7: you should have taped that i think he did (laughs) Uh, mike good luck to you in retirement i hope that you can take all of your awesome impressions on the road uh we're gonna miss you but we just hope the best for you and yeah good luck out there
1: okay can i say something about the impressions yeah uh When I was a kid in school, I would make fun of the teacher because that's how the other kids, I would relate to the other kids and they would like it. When I got into radio, I mean, when you're working at the Capitol, you listen to hours and hours and hours of people talking and and with tape, you listen to hours of tape. And so that just drilled into me, and I couldn't help but spit it back out. That's how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: our time is up for today. I want to thank our guests, Brian Bax, reports on politics for NPR News. Thanks for being here, Brian.
2: Glad to be here.
0: And the man of the hour, Mike Mulcahy, is a senior editor here at NPR News for a couple more days. We'll miss him very much. Mike enjoy your retirement.
1: Okay, let's go find some real news now.
0: (laughs) This is the uh, House Husbands Rock from the Ernie's. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9am.